Hello friends, how are you? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I am absolutely chuffed and over the moon to be joined by my very good pal Adam Weaver. Adam is a musician, an actor, a writer and, and just an overall fucking legend and he'll fill me in on everything else that he's doing and uh, yeah I'm just absolutely chuffed to have him here on the podcast have uh, talk all things wellness and all things fucking mighty so Adam how are you bro I'm good how are you I'm good I'm good um nice and chilled went down for the old sea dip this morning down to the office the old uh, daily hygiene and uh, yeah buzzing man absolutely thing I love about the sea dips especially when it's cold when you get in that sea it's the hardest thing you'll probably have to face that day mm. so everything else is a doddle like if you can convince yourself or even force yourself to get into that cold water embrace it and get out there's nothing else that you're going to face throughout that day that's going to be that challenging yeah. and it's, it's just like a, it you know it just makes life that much easier like when you do that you've plugged into nature you've you've challenged yourself you've got into that you know uncomfortable place and now it's like right let's do this let's that, have you is that every morning i try to get down most mornings man if i don't get down i, I try to do a cold shower mm-hmm. um so yeah it's just and it's like because it's so close to the the house as well it's just to try to get in but it's just it's just i think if you can get a good morning routine yeah. then everything else is just you can build on a solid morning routine then everything else is just so much easier it's like you wouldn't leave the house without charging up your phone yeah. or you wouldn't go on the m50 without throwing petrol in the car well, I have, I've <laughs> done that many times. But you know what I mean? And, and then when you start breaking down or feeling low or feeling anxious or you're just rattled by some situation in life, you know, it's it's like if I can if I can do these little things to kind of build me up and just make uh, make me more resilient, it just makes life that, that bit easier. Like, And it, it doesn't have to be cold water swimming. It could be just a walk, it could be meditation, it could be listening to a motivational video you know whatever your thing is to kind of just plug you in what what what's your what's your energy source you know what i mean what do you plug into to just charge it up yeah and it is that because i have noticed you notice a massive difference if you don't do that and if if you don't do a cold water dip or i do it up in the gym use the ice bath up there or if i don't start the day right little things make your bed or have a good breakfast and do those little Tick those little boxes before you get to your work or we have to. If you don't do that, I'm in a fell humour the whole day and I'm I'm taking it out on maybe family members or or things are getting up my back that wouldn't have before. And I've only learned that in the last couple of years. In my twenties I didn't know any of that. And maybe it could be more part of the mainstream now in the last couple of years that it's come more to fruition that do the the Goggins running or the the Wim Hof breathing and which is great that we're all learning it, but yeah, I have noticed a, a massive change in in your mental health when when you do something tough first thing in the morning like an ice bath or go for a walk even or anything like you said just to plug that charger in. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's it's powerful and and that's the thing. It's just finding what kind of works for you. Like what what would be a bit of your morning routine? Like you wake up in the morning, what sort of things would you kind of do to kind of. <laughs> If put I've you had, in the right place. If I've had a good night's sleep, I struggle with sleep. Okay. Um, I've I've struggled my whole life. I've just really active mind, like really overactive mind. Um, but if I've had a good night's sleep, I'm already winning. And uh, and then I'll try to do little things like before I leave my room, make the bed, 
have a good breakfast. Um, I before I go to bed, even I write down. I, I got this off my dad. He's got a really active mind as well. Um, just write your list of things you want to do tomorrow. Just from anything, make the bed, breakfast, gym. Okay, after gym is then work. Then do this. Then tick those boxes. Then after that, you're gonna have a healthy lunch. Then after that, and if I if I don't have everything. I don't know what it is. If I don't have it up, I won't sleep. My mind will jump left. Oh, what about this? And mm. make sure you contact him. And how's your mate doing? Or God, uh, remember that time you got dumped? And all this mm. mad stuff will pop yeah. into your head. So, uh, yeah. So that's kind of my morning routine is already set for me. So I don't have to, I don't get overwhelmed by it. I just look at my phone. I, I take a screenshot, set that as my screensaver for the day. And then I've, I actually enjoy doing the little green tick emoji thing when I've completed something. So you're like, um, your to-do list, like? Every single day, yeah. I love that, man, yeah. I have to. Yeah, um, I love that. And mm. it's funny what you're saying about your mind. I think that's the catch about having that creative mind. You mm. know, that your your mind is just right. You're coming up with all these ideas or these scenarios or these situations in your head. Mm-hmm. And, it, and and sometimes it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's not even knowing how to turn it off. And I find that I have that anxious mind. You know, I could be sitting in bed and next thing I'm like, oh, do you remember that embarrassing thing you said 15 <laughs> years ago on a night out? You know, and I can't sleep it, you know? And it's like just this mad random stuff just popping into my head. Like, and uh, and yeah, you know, it, and... and you know, and I think that that's just the the catch of having that uh, creative intellect, like you know mm. what I mean, and and uh, and I think that as well the, the meditation and the you know the, mm. the, the the ice baths, the sea dips, the runs, you know, it's just it's a way of kind of dealing with that race in mind. You know what I mean? How were you in in we say your past life type thing when you used to drink and all that? Do you think all your energy went into that? Or do you think you were trying to push away from your creativity by turning to alcohol and stuff in the past? Yeah, yeah possibly, man. Yeah, but if I, I look at it, like I, ha- I had all this energy. And if you were to look at the, the word energy means, like, it's it's a Latin word for emotion. And so it's like energy is stored in the body, emotion is stored in the body. So mm-hmm. I had this this mind that was go, go, go. And with, uh, because I'm, I'm sensitive as well, you get these thoughts that, like, you get emotions, you get feelings that come along with them. And I was just trying to suppress them all. And the only way I knew how to turn them off was to escape, you know, to drink, to drugs, to food, to whatever mm-hmm. means I could find. Essentially numbing and suppressing all these emotions, you know, that, you know, I didn't know how to, I suppose, uh, regulate these emotions or feel them in a proper way. So I'd, I'd numb them until I just completely desensitized and I just struggled then to even feel anything. It was literally, I was just numb then, you know, because, and I suppose it was a cope mechanism. It helped me to, to cope and to, you know, de- deal with certain scenarios in my life during that period that if I was able to feel everything, I probably wouldn't be really able to stand it or, 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 or live with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I suppose I just kind of completely switched off emotionally and was just numb and then using drink and, and whatever else to kind of just escape even more from it. And I had that bit of, it was the only cope me- mechanism I knew was just to, to run from feelings of fear, mm. insecurity, inadequacy, in you know, whatever it was. I just, Do you ever wonder where that came from? Why that was your reaction? Do you get me? Um, Man, I'm not sure, you know, the, uh, 
you could say, you know, you grew up as a kid and, you know, you were kind of conditioned, you know, you're you're in school and you're trying to fit in and you're trying to become this ideal self. Oh, only if I, I look like this or if I'm the most popular kid and, you know, or, or maybe one of your parents could have said something to you that made you feel I'm not enough. And I think I grew up with the core belief that I, I wasn't enough who I was as a person. So I always had this high achieving perfectionism that if I do or get A, B or C, then I'll be worthy. I just had this default feeling that I was 80% compared to all my peers. Any room, any classroom we walked into, any football team we walked onto, you know, any any anywhere I walked among people, I just felt I was less than everyone else by default. But if I can do A, B or C, I'll make up that 20%. If I'll do the, the marathon, if I win, if I, if I talk the loudest, if I tell the funniest joke, you know, if mm-hmm. I get the most validation, then I'll get the, the 20% and then I'll feel enough. And you'll get that 20%, but then it'll fade away. And again, yeah. you just, and it's just this uh, innate feeling of, of feeling inadequate, never feeling enough. And, and you know, trying to trying to always escape from, from that feeling. And I think, I don't know if it's society, I don't know, you know, if it was my upbringing, but I think it's just we're always getting conditioned into who we should be rather than who we are. Yeah. Like, rather you, this is a man, so a man has to adhere mm-hmm. to this criteria. So you're trying to say, right, a man doesn't show weakness, a man doesn't mm-hmm. show emotion, a man doesn't cry. So you're suppressing all these emotions, you know what I mean? Instead mm-hmm. of embracing who you actually are as a person, you know, yeah, and you're yeah. trying to fit in with, with people around you that are also trying to, adhere to this condition and this ideal version of what you should be and I think we lose touch with who we are authentically and I think I needed to go down them roads to kind of be able to break off the chains that that were holding me back like you know what I mean about what I thought I was meant to be versus who I actually am authentically Do you feel with the 80% and and looking for the 20% do you feel like you still do that now in a healthier way as in to, to more prove to yourself who we are because you've went from one extreme to now smashing Iron Man's and like I just try wrap my head around that that brain of yours how you can how you can um, use that kind of focus just to do something as incredible as an Iron Man I remember talking to you saying did you not document it and you were quite surprised by that you're like why would I document something like that and I, I don't think you realise how amazing that is for us to be watching and you're very humble and and it's lovely to see and and i feel like you're doing that well, i don't know why you're doing it but it feels like you're kind of just doing that for yourself and and uh yeah i just i just i i struggle to do 10ks you know what i mean mm-hmm. for you to do an iron man you must have this kind of deep process or something that you go through to be able to keep smashing through barriers and to keep going further to keep doing iron man so then go do a dublin marathon this weekend um, yeah, it's an incredible mindset you have. Mm. I, I, to be honest, I think, um, I think I've just been blessed with a lot of energy. You know what I mean? And I genuinely love it. I love when I go in, when I'm running about, when I get into running about five, ten k kilometer run, and next thing I just go into this flow state. I don't know if the adrenaline kicks in, the dopamine, the serotonin. I don't know what the scientific mm. term is, but I just feel incredible. Nice. You know what I mean? I feel so good, and it's. Probably the closest I get to the next dimension without a substance, oh, really you know. And I suppose like I'm, I'm ten years drug and alcohol and any mind altering substance free, you know. And so even like even last night, man, right? I, do, do you know Pat Dively? 
Yeah. Uh, my, we, so we've done a Brett Walk workshop yesterday and uh, just lying on this mat, breathing in now for an hour, you know, and he was chant, he was kind of giving little mantras and guiding us and next thing I will know, you know, he's just bringing us back to when I was a kid, you know, that, you know, child stuff and, you know, just that ball in my eyes out, man, 15 minutes, like just ball in my Amazing. eyes, never felt it, just from Brett Walk, you know, nice. just from feeling your breath, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and sitting with yourself and this, you know, and, and just, and you, you were saying there about it, like, do you feel you're still like, looking for that 20% gap? Look, there's still a part of me that is, you know, like, there's still a part of me that's always seeking something on mm. the pursuit. But I've, I've learned today is to be more present in the pursuit. You know what I mean? That's only natural as a human being, we're hunter-gatherers, but it's about what are we channeling that hunter-gathering mindset into? Like, what is it that you're hunting for? What is it that you're gathering? What is it that you're seeking? Mm-hmm. And I suppose, it's about trying to, if I'm seeking an Ironman or if I'm seeking to, you know, go further with whatever it is, you know, it's to like, you know, be present in that mission, in that pursuit, in that endeavor. And Troy, and that's what I'm learning to do is to sit more on my own skin. Because I think I struggled so much to sit in my own skin and, and be with myself, you know what I mean? If, if that makes sense, because I've always been distracted. I do the, I do the marathon, then what's, what now, now what, now what? So it's nearly like a distraction from me being just stillness. And I found yeah. that stillness and boredom was my biggest enemy. I couldn't bear it, you know, because that meant getting to know myself, you know, mm-hmm. getting to under, understand uh, who I am and yeah. running away from myself and, and finding not listening to that uh, inner critic that I had in my mind. And then when I slowly started to meditate, and sit with my own feelings and sit with my emotions. I became comfortable with it. And yeah. because of that now, I love spending, I'm like, I love solitude. I look and go, like, I love travel. I go do a lot of backpacking around the world on my own. And, you know, I spe- like, I do all these things on my own. Whereas before, I used to be terrified to spend time by myself. Mm-hmm. And now I love it. Like, and I just have that peace where I'm comfortable. And I think if you were to ask me a few years ago when I got sober, like, what, what's the ultimate goal? Like, what's the be- like, what, what do you want? And like, what's your life beyond your wildest dreams now that you're not drinking? And I'd be like, I want the Ferrari or I want the, the mansion in Docky or, you know, I want me, you know, and all these kind of materialistic things. And I think today that the highest achievement is like, I have peace of mind and I like who I am. And I'm, I, I'm like overwhelmed with gratitude for my life today. Like, you know, just yeah. them simple, simple things. But, I was thinking that the other day, that the fact you're saying that, I used to always have that um, that dream of oh, Hollywood or like uh, have a role in a movie like Save a Private Ryan and all the stuff that comes with it. And now I swear, only recently when you go through stuff personally and you just, now my auntie calls it the North Star or something that you kind of aim for. What What's your happiness? What vision of happiness do you have? And in my 20s, I had this like real naive kind of, but I think it helped me drive and vision of getting acting roles. And it was and it was happening. Like my first ever audition was Red Rock. It was my first ever audition. But I was so naively driven. I was like, I'm going to get this. I didn't realize you had to get an agent. I didn't realize there was like half a million people going for this one role. And, uh, and I think back to my mindset back then was um, I had these visions of of being on a show and being on billboards in Dublin, and then it happened. And I was like, holy shit, this is happening, this mm-hmm. is real. And I'd like, in my early 20s, I suffered massively with depression. I, I genuinely, genuinely think the majority of us do have depression or a source of it, or we all suffer in it in our own way. But when I think back, I was definitely depressed. So 
I'd, I'd use escapism a lot with my mind or play characters or scenarios. Mm. And then when I start doing scenarios of what could be for you as a career. Where do you think that depression came from? What do you mean? Like, where do you think, what do you think triggered it? To become an actor? No, depression. Like, what Oh, sorry, I thought you said the question. I didn't, okay. I, didn't, I said depression. Um, I don't know. I still think I suffer with it. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. Um, I've had, like, past relationships and stuff like that, but I wouldn't even blame it on, on past. I just... I've always had this mad overactive mind and when you're saying when you want to sit with yourself I can't sit with myself I can't sit in silence well in my 20s I couldn't so I'd have all these things for escapism whether that's alcohol or music um, art seemed to always help like uh, acting if I got a part in acting whatever even going to acting school I would just fully dive head first into that nothing else mattered mm. and it, it gave me that beautiful escapism but then when you come back and sit by yourself i'm terrified of panic attacks can't sleep all that stuff so um i think in my 20s i had that vision of say that first show red rock i got in then it happened then when that stopped my and it just got taken away from us so just the show ended suddenly my de depression and all the anxiety just came like a full tidal wave back in because I'm sitting by myself with no job and I'm having panic. I'm like, oh shit, so what do I do? Okay, let's vision another job. Yeah. And then I envisioned, um, oh, what was it? I think it was Valhalla or another, and that happened again and I got it again. And then that ended and suddenly I get hit with the wave again. And then Corona, I, I, I moved to the States thinking, right, it's going to happen over there. That's where my mind is sending me. And then Corona hit, and before you know it, the whole world's locked down, and I'm back home living with my sister and uh, her fella Al in Greystones, and everyone, Jesus, everyone in the world is, is going through it when it was locked down. And I remember being hit by that wave again of anxiety and depression and everything, and I'm like, uh-oh, I've got no escape this time. Like, the, the world's locked down, I don't know what to do. So fortunately, my, my sister's always, always my go-to person, and she knows me better than I know myself. Um, she could see me kind of deteriorating and she's like you have to be creative you have to start doing stuff you have to first have your vision of what you want to happen but also that's when i start writing that's when um i start writing a film and that just took me away for eight nine hours a day just writing could be complete tripe garbage but i realize what you do with meditation i'm sure or what you're running it just takes you into that lovely flow and you may not have eaten the whole day. You've just, you're just so focused on doing something. So I got addicted to writing. But in that time I envisioned, I was like, well, there's not many jobs going on at the minute during Corona. What job is there? And I, Fair City was going. So I just sat back and envisioned that. And there's no jobs on Fair City. Jeez, everyone's on that for years and they kind of hold on to their characters that they like and, and that's how it works in, in, in most soaps. I just envisioned it I was like right I'm gonna I'm gonna get a job in Fair City and then I'm gonna start gigging in town I'm gonna make this film and it all just started to happen again I got a job out of nowhere a lad that was playing my role or his role sorry in Fair City suddenly he he left and this became vacant my agent rings me she goes oh this kind of came out of nowhere but you've been offered a part in in Fair City and I was just kind of like Jesus Christ like 
like if you actually I know everyone says about um but it is a thing like uh, if you do really envision something I'm sure that with you with your Iron Man and, and stuff like that if you just see you finishing that line and how it feels it does it can actually happen it does, like I've, I've felt it a couple of times um and I'm just bringing it back to how I am now is I don't have that anymore. Those visions of grandiose things like Fair City or whatever, like being on TV shows or film. Now it's, can I envision being happy sitting in an apartment with like a dog I haven't even met yet? And like, just like you have here, just like the sun coming in, the kettle on, someone I love in the next room. To me, that vision now, that's where, um, where I place kind of my drive. But it's gonna be scary, because I'm like, God, um, am I just getting, um, like, am I losing faith in, in that career, or do I kind of see what really gives you happiness? And what what I believe in that is, is, is just being content, like you said. Mm-hmm. Being content in your own space, um, yeah. So that's kind of where I am. At that's powerful. What, what do you think that triggered that change from the envisioning of a career, successful career, to going more family orientated or security orientated? I think we're speaking before we started this podcast. Uh, my mom's not well, so she has dementia. And I think that, um, that humbles you, you know what I mean? Mm. And, uh, and things just naturally happen as in you just focus on what's really important and that's family. And the only people I text every day now are my sister, my brother, my dad. How are you? I've like been up to see mom, how's she? Um, so I do my list, like I was saying before I go to bed, blah, blah, blah. Like go gym or do your work. And then any time in between my list, it's con- I just contact my sister or my brother or my dad. Um, so you kind of it really grounds you and humbles you life when something like that happens and for people that have gone through like losing a family member or you, you start to see what's really important and also it could be a safety thing like I'm protecting myself as in I, I, I keep saying to myself now you can only control what you can control as in your your mental health, um, your relationships with your family, um, stuff like that. Like I'll still audition and I'll still put the work in when I get an audition and be grateful for the audition. I'll still try, go out and and, and, and find a, a gorgeous partner and all that. But if it's not working, I, I don't force it anymore. Like if, if, if I do that audition and I think I've done a really good job. In the past, I'd be like looking at emails all the time, ringing up my agent. Oh, but I thought that was really good and didn't go your way. I'd be sick, couldn't sleep. I'd be panicking. Now, I get I get an audition and and I'll put the work in and have no regrets and and make sure the tape's really good. And then I'll forget I've done it an hour later. I'll just go, that's not going to affect me anymore. I can't let that affect me. If you're like, I only bring it back to dating because like, that used to affect me a lot as well. If I was dating someone or like, maybe only texting them for a couple of weeks and suddenly that stops. 
it would crush me. It would turn me upside down. I'd, I'd feel sick. But now I'm like, well, it is what it is. It's not, it hasn't worked out. They've gone your, their way. You go your way. Because what you're going, what I'm going through at the minute, it's, what's most important is your family. And, mm. and, and for you to be happy because you need to be there for your sister when she's having a shit day or your brother or your dad. And I can't be bringing in, oh, ringing my sister, fucking audition thing, that's bullshit. Or, or uh, oh, it didn't work out with your one or the job didn't go my way. We don't have time for that nonsense anymore. It's how are you? How are you? I'm good. How was your day, Grant? Just keeping that kind of balance as neutral as I can now instead of peaks and troughs, you know what I mean? Um, so I think that's only happened, my mom got diagnosed maybe two years ago. And uh, I think that's, that's, that was the change. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. And yeah, you know, like it's mad when like something like that something that's so meaningful to you happens and you said the word humble it humbles you and it makes you see what's important in life and man all it takes is one phone call like mm. you could be walking down the road and you're worried you know how many hits is the podcast getting or where's that fucking thing i order on amazon why isn't it delivered yet or you know like all these superficial things and next thing your phone rings and it could be someone you love is not well and you've gotten, you've just gotten the news that that's just turned your whole world upside down. And then, then you realise like what what actually is important, you know what what really matters. Like and you know I remember hearing a guy say, you don't find the light in the light, you find the light in the dark. And I think, I think sometimes when where these situations are put upon us, that they make us realise, they make us have a look at. Hold on, like. I've been putting so much focus on stuff that's not really that important or worthwhile. It's getting stressed out by, you know, nonsense and futile things and, you know, without realising that, hold on, like, the things that are really important are all around me. Like, we use it your family, you know, being there for your family and realising the people that we love. And it's usually the people that we love are thrown in the back seat. We take their, them for granted and we're out there trying mm. to impress all the strangers or to exactly. get validation of mm-hmm. all the lads and family are the ones that are are, are are like are there for us all the time through thick and thin like i found that when i got when i got sober you know I, I like when i was drinking i used to be like so like the gas man in the pub the funny fella do anything for anyone just mm-hmm. to get that i just wanted that pat on the back you know that that 80 mm-hmm. percent person that it was that didn't feel enough or didn't feel uh, that felt inferior that anytime I got any sort of approval, it was like, wow, I've made it, I've been accepted, I've arrived, you know. And I used to just crave that in the pub be the funny lad, be the gas man, you know, yeah. Colin's deadly, so funny, they went for you, terrified that something mightn't like me, you know. You could be in a pub and there's 99 people there, Dory, I think that you're one great, person, but yeah. that one person that doesn't is going to take up all your, th- all your thinking time, like, you know, you're going to be obsessed. Oh, why don't they like me? How can I get them to like me? How, like, you know, it's just, it's bizarre, you know. Yeah. And why would they own all that? We have a family that absolutely adore us and love us and are there for us and we don't even notice. And how I realised that, man, was after the wheels came off and I was in a really bad place with mental health, like I was in pure rock bottom, in a real dark place, you know, and, and no one reached out to me. None of the lads that I was, I was, I was, I'd cross the ocean to help, exactly. you know, the lads in the pub, none of them reached out for me. You know, it was all my family. Even when I got sober, you know, my dad used to, 
you know, drop me to all these 12-step meetings, you know, and, and make sure it's all right, you know, ring me every day. And, you know, when you kind of, it's only when shit hits the fan, you realise what's important. You know, you really do. And what, what you're doing now, being there for your sister, being there for your family, you'll always look back at that and say, that was the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, being there for others, you know. It's the unconditional love, isn't it? Mm. It's kind of what you're saying with those. And, and like, you can, I went through phases of, oh, why aren't they reaching out? And now everything I did for them, I thought, and it's like, a, it's not their fault. Mm. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's probably better that they don't reach out because... You only want the people that truly care and love you as you do to them mm-hmm. unconditionally to reach out and for you to because that's all that's the only amount of energy you have left in you for people to who, who truly uh, have the have the right intentions and and are reaching out you're not asking for a lift to the shop or uh, ask just seeing how you are and it's amazing how that just naturally like in your teens and twenties, you've eight hundred friends and seventeen WhatsApp groups and or <laughs> Facebook groups or Bevos and all that. Now you've got probably two or three, yeah. but they're they're ride or dies and they're unconditional and and uh, yeah, it, it, what you went through and and it, it's amazing how that just naturally occurs when the shit hits hits the fan. Well, who's there for you? Like your dad doing that unconditionally, it doesn't matter. I'm dropping you in there, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to ask you what else do you need. Didn't matter what state you came home, we're here for you. Um, yeah, I think that's great. And and, and you were saying with, with, with the meditation uh, yesterday, was it? That, mm, the breath work, yeah. And that lovely euphoric feeling you felt. Um, and you and you start uh, crying. I I did that once. Um, where there was no drugs involved or there was no alcohol or there wasn't anything. It was um, just when you said it, it remind me of uh, I was doing I was doing an ad one time. It was like a, a TV license ad in Ardmore Studios and I'm walking through a set and the whole ad was a one take and there's like 60 extras and it's like this old... Uh, kind of film set it was actually it looked incredible like when I got there I was like this is fucking class but um, we only had a day to film it. I'd love to be there forever and uh, but anyway it was like a 90 second one take you can't make any mistakes uh, everything has to be timed perfectly they have a tracking camera um, and it's like one take through the whole thing and then it finishes with like fireworks and all this sort of stuff going on so I knew, I was like, right, I need to know this script upside down so I can forget it when I'm doing it. You, if you, you just learn it so much that you're not thinking anymore when you're doing it. And that's the, the best way to learn stuff off. So I was going over it and we'd, we'd like a half a day to rehearse. So it was lashing rain and me and the director just walking up and down the, the, the old path, the old street and stuff. And then it came to the time of filming and there was loads of extras and there was like horses there, there was fire, there was, I was like, shit, this is a lot bigger than I thought it was. And it's only an ad, but like, you're still there at the time, it could be anything. And uh, the director was like, look, we've got good lighting at the minute, um, so we're going to have to have a crack at it now. So it's kind of game time now. I was like, grand. And I'd like, watch my energy all day. I wasn't taking headache tablets or drinking coffees or sipping water, eating small lunches keep my mind as active as I could wasn't really chatting to 
the actors or the extras or the directors. I was just kind of, I knew what my job was. I'm going to save my energy for when it happens. So I'm in, I'm in the set. There's like a fake doorway at the bottom of the street. And the director has like a microphone. Or sorry, no, the director was on the radio to an assistant director, this young lad, beside me. And he'd just go, right, Adam, are you ready? Uh, and so the little, the, he was on a young lad. He, he goes, are you ready, Adam? And my mind went... I was gone. I had nothing in me. I was like, oh, like, I was like, am I panicking here? But you know when you're about to fire and your brain feels like mush? Um, that's what it felt like. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can swear on this, kind of. Not on this podcast yeah. I say whatever you want man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like oh I'm fucked you know I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. we've got all these people waiting it's go time and nothing is firing in my head usually what I do if, if actors listen or anything usually just say the first two lines in your head and that gives you the doorway and then you just hope that you've learned enough that the rest yeah, just happens it's like a little prompt like a, yeah like even like a, a prayer or like a something that you've learned in school like our father who art in heaven suddenly you can just brain yeah, just do the rest like, of it it's like muscle memory of muscle your mind memory, yeah. yeah i couldn't remember the first line i was like i'm fucked i was like and i just turned to the uh, assistant director i was like sorry mate can i just take a minute and he was like no problem and i was like do you mind just like just walking outside for a second he's like yeah yeah of course so I remember I was, I was standing there in the hallway, this fake hallway before I walk out onto the street and I was like, oh shit. So I was very close to my granny and she'd passed away. She had dementia herself and she died just recently at that time. And uh, I remember just turning to the wall and it, like this happened. And I'm turning to the wall and just like start talking to her in my mind. And I was like, Okay, Granny, my name's Josie. I was like, Josie, you just take over here. I was like, I'm fucked. I, I've not, I, I've like no energy in me. I was like, can you just take the wheel here and I'll just let go and I'll let you just do it. And, and I remember standing against the wall and I got hit by this feeling. It felt like a, a wave of emotion just like crashed up against me and like, like if you've done drugs or something, you're just on a come up nearly. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit. I was like, what is this? And I was like nearly welling up, but I just, I was just like, okay, that's her. That has to be her. This isn't, I've just been sipping water. This has come out of, this is like a huge amount of energy's just smashed me out of it. And I was like, that must be you. And I'd never had that feeling before. So I, the AD came back in and he's like, good to go. And I just gave him a thumbs up and I took a deep breath. And I was like, right, I'm, I'm just going to let go. I was going to see what happens. And all I remember is stepping out into the scene. And then I was watching myself in third person, like walking through the scene. And I remember laughing, going to my granny, you're fucking nailing this. I was like, holy shit. You're, you're... I, I, and then I'd, I'd come back into my body, but I was like floating through the set. And it was... It was such an insane feeling. And when the scene ends, I'm meant to be like euphoric and have my hand up. But the scene ends and I've got like a tagline. Um, uh, I'm, I think it's like I'm TV advertising or something. But it's meant to be all like joyous and it comes in and as I hit the mark, I come back into my body. Mm -hmm. 
I remember nearly forgetting to say it. I was just so overwhelmed. And I just said it really downplayed with no like massive joys and all that shit's going on behind me, dancers and fireworks and shit. And the director shouts cut and he starts screaming and there's like um, Virgin Media people and everything behind, they're all like celebrating, we've got the take. And the director runs up to me and gives me a big hug and he's like, I've never seen that before. No. He's like, we never rehearsed it like that before. He's like, holy fucking shit, you've, Jesus Adam, like that was one take. Like you don't, I don't remember a second of it. And I just said, to him, can I just take a minute? He's like, no problem. And I walked around and I, I wept. I just like wept with like happiness. And I even like tear up now thinking of it. And it's like nothing to do with like the job itself. It was like, holy shit, like maybe there is something, you know, um, more than we'll ever know. And when you're like, When you really tap into it, it's, it's there for you. And it, it gave me a comfort that, um, that my granny's still there for us or what my mom's gone through now. I'm like, there is something because I couldn't do that myself. I couldn't create that feeling myself. I, I know what happened that day and I was like holy shit like that's that um that happened and that's real and and that that gave me faith more than anything like more than the church and more than anything growing up I was like that moment I don't know why my granny did it for me I don't know I don't know how it happened but um I wonder was that similar or that through breath work, you, like you're saying what you did, can you tap into it that way? Mm. You know? What do you, and what do you think that was that happened? I have to leave it was her. I, I, I have to, because I, I, I never felt that way. Um, I was so in tuned with my energy that day and, and what I was taking and, and just sipping water and and for that amount of energy and feeling to come over me, it felt like a, just a big, warm granny hug. Like, I got you, I'm gonna do this. And I was like, I, I remember after and it was done and and it's used to this day, the, the take that was on TV, it was on over Christmas a couple of years for a few years. And they use that take. And uh, I'm really proud of that because that's, I know when I'm watching it, holy shit, I'm not there. Like, I need doing that for me. But I remember after I got home and I was like a wild animal. I like saw him at and he's like, how'd it go? I was like, 
I need to fucking tell you what just happened. And I was like, we need to go for a pint. And we went like, went across to the pub and he's like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, Dad, I'm telling you, th this was just the most spiritual outer body experience I've ever had in my life. Um, and then I got a little tattoo of her name on my arm. Like the... Josie. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love it. That's uh, brilliant. Whenever man. I'm on dates, girls are like, I don't bring up that story yeah. all like, Jesus Christ, I yeah. had two drinks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that's, crying hilarious, like, man. Um, oh, that's beautiful. But uh That's powerful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was great. Do you know what I'm I wanna get emotional because I've never really said it to like in this extent. Um, but I think I'm just so lucky that it happened to me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I feel really lucky that that moment, and I, I hope that everyone gets a moment like that um, in any form. But uh, yeah, that, that'll always stick with me. And it just gives me a bit of comfort when shit happens in life that, well, I know that happened, so yeah. it must be something. You just know that the, whatever's out there that has your back. Mm. It's powerful. Um, yeah, like, I, I didn't tell many people the story. Um, I, the, the night before the Ironman, I remember in the build-up to the Ironman, just the stress, man, coming through my head, you know, and my bike arrived and there was issues with it. And, you know, I flew over with the bike and the plane and it was, like, falling apart. And I could, when I rebuilt it, it just wasn't the same. I went to the bike shop and they were like, oh, it might be broken. You don't have to be able to do the Ironman. And Stress. then brought it down to another bike shop and they said, right, we'll leave here overnight. We see can we sort it tomorrow. The night before the race. And, you know, and I remember um, it just all these things going on. I wasn't feeling great. I think it was coming down with something. I don't know what it was. And just that night, uh, the night before the race, I was in bed, couldn't sleep a week, man. My heart rate was like 150, Stress. lying in bed. Just boom, 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 four o'clock in the morning, a heart jumping through my chest on the verge of having a panic attack. And I remember just going out and sitting on the balcony, you know, and looking up at the stars and, you know, just saying a prayer. I don't even know who I was praying to, just saying a prayer. And uh, just with that, this little robin landed down right <laughs> on the balcony. I don't even, and this is in Barcelona, like, even though there's robins in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember when I was a kid, my mum used to always say, when a robin lands beside you, yeah, it's someone looking over you. And I have this picture here, it's robins appear when loved ones are oh. near. And um, and man, me, as soon as that robin landed, that fear, that anxiety just went away. Just literally went away. And like what you were describing now, I just felt this sense of I'm safe, mm. I'm okay, you yeah. know. God has my back, higher power has my back, the universe has my back, whatever way you want to fathom it or understand what, what it is, what that, you know, thing that we can't see or, or, or um, hear, or, but we can feel on an inner level, like, you know, mm. feeling the heart and, you know, and, and, and that, and like, and the next day, and when that happened, immediately when it happened, there was something in me that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get over the line. What's amazing with that, um, when you're sitting on that balcony and that robin lands, 99% of people would, would notice that a robin's there and are still panicking. But when you let yourself be susceptible and open to these things, suddenly you start to, you know what I mean? 
suddenly that robin lands and it can be a sign and it can be someone looking out for you but the fact that you are um, open to that I think that's what's amazing with it anyone else could shoo it away and get I'm panicking here get away from me stop trying to take my biscuit here or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. you're there going holy yeah, shit cry here, and that's amazing that you can source energy off that and and I I, I I really do truly believe stuff like that is real mm. um, but yeah it's, it's it's powerful when things like that happen and uh, yeah and, and it's that thing you know you know if you, you change the way you look at things the things you look at change and it's a significant start we can add to something, something symbolic, you know what I mean? Someone could give us a rock. They found that on the beach down in uh, down in Cloney, and, uh, Cloney Beach and they come and give it to you and go, oh, I brought this home from Everest, bro. This is good luck, you know? And you start to convince yourself it's good luck. And what happens, all these lucky things and great things are happening to you. And it's the power of the mind. I don't know if you ever heard of Dr. Uh, Joe Dispenza. And he talks about the placebo and the nocebo. And the placebo, obviously, it's a, it's a it's a very effective thing. They obviously they use they use it to test medicine. So they give a dud medicine like a sugar pill, give the people and say, "Oh, this will cure your migraine." And they pop it, and what happens? It cures the migraine. For for the majority of people, I think 70 percent of people convince themselves yeah. that this will work. And and versus the actual medicine that cures the migraine. So it's so effective that they use it on, in clinical trials to test the effectiveness of a medicine. Um. And then there's a nocebo where if you think negatively all the time, you'll you'll bring negativity into your life. You'll bring negative situations, negative people, you know, negative scenarios will just gravitate towards you. And it's like if you can think positively about life and about situations and not that life happens to you, that you're not a victim, but that life happens for you, that these things are there to te maybe teach you a lesson or to you know uh, callous you or to, to to sculpt you into a certain person or character and you know you, you spoke earlier you know about how that depression that you went through kind of uh, pushed you on to become a, become an actor and a writer because you you felt a sense of of escapism in it and a mm -hmm. sense of purpose and meaning and if you were if i was to look back at all the stuff that kind of i've achieved in my life that that's just the, that's the the nice shiny bit you see at the top you know what i mean mm. but you don't see what triggered that person to go what was the pain what was the suffering what was the struggle what was the challenge and i've always looked back at all that stuff man there was serious challenges you know like, like i'm sober but i'm only sober because alcohol brought me to my knees mm -hmm. you know i'm i don't i do all this fitness but it was only got mad into fitness because i was really unhealthy at one stage when i was really overweight really obese really unhappy you know, I remember in my first time I went backpacking, I was going through a really bad breakup and I just jumped on a plane and needed to get away. Greatest thing I've ever done. And then I remember another time I was in a job that was really toxic and I was really unhappy. But it was, I was money was great and I was caught in that uh, materialism. I loved just mm. getting depressed, buying shit, getting depressed and just buying more shit, you know. And then my dad passed away and I came away from that thinking, well, life's short. You know, what that phone call I was talking about, you have all this stuff going on in your head of what runners will I buy? You know, what What will the lads think is killed? You know, next thing you get a phone call, turns your whole world upside down mm. and you realise what's important. And I realise, well, I've only got one life. And I, look, I don't know if you ever heard that quote, you know, everyone has two lives. And the second one starts when you realise you've only got one life. You know, and that was that moment when I got that phone call about my dad, you know, and uh, it made me realise why, why am I like, 
still chasing this un, unauthentic self? Am I am I living to my goals and aspirations, or or this this unauthentic version? What I think society wants me to be, you know, chasing the big cars, the money, the validation, you know, the the career status, uh, the job title, you know, then will the the society approve of me? Will I be enough then? Or is that what I authentically want? And that when that happened, it kind of gave me time to sit with myself and see what is actually important. You know, what is important in life, you know? And for me, as you said, less is more. Having real authentic friends around, you know, ride or die, you know what I mean? And being being able to be at peace with yourself and sit with yourself and, you know, and you can chase all these, these nice shiny... Look, it's nice to have nice things, but if you spend your whole life chasing these things and just let, like authentic things just rush by you like good friendships good relationships family and then before you know it you know i think uh johnny cash has the song about it you know and is he has this house full of things but now nothing that matters like you know what i mean i don't remember the words of the songs but um and that's what it is you kind of just realize what actually is important and when we stop and i think jim carrey has that quote you know what depression is when our, our uh, archetype gets uh, tired of trying to play a certain role or a certain character and then you realise what is my authentic self like you know yeah yeah when I'm sorry to hear that your dad passed away when that happened it, it did did you just stop slow down and just think how am I going to cope was it in the sense of I'm only saying that because I'm only feeling that at the minute I've I've got no energy for the fancy stuff or impressing people anymore. I just have energy to get through today, and I'm planning out tomorrow, and then plan whatever I want to do next year. But it, did you feel, um, when you lost your dad, that okay, I need to just focus on what, like, kind of what's important. You know what I mean? I. Did that naturally happen for you, or did it take you a while to? A were while. you sober when your dad passed? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was three years ago, and okay. uh, I remember I got. I uh, yeah, I, I was actually getting mad at the seas for me. That's great time. that he saw that. Yeah, you yeah. know, really yeah. blessed, you know, and uh, no, I had a really good relationship. Like well, after I got sober, me and my dad, like we had got a really good relationship. Brilliant. You know, we got to spend time, do a lot of cool stuff together, like you know, and yeah, and that that was like I got the. I suppose just be present a lot more, you know, because when I was drinking, I was never present. I was yeah. always out and about and just trying to get out of me, trying to, uh, suppose, run away from the demons, um, you know, and uh, then getting sober, we got a great bond, you know, we hung out a lot, you know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of important conversations, you know, and just, yeah, it was just, we, we became really good friends, like, you know, which was, which was beautiful. Um, and yeah, when I got that phone call, um, I went numb, man. I think I have like I had this like emotional lag where this thing happened, and I remember that day. You know, I think we, one of my sisters shared it on the funeral arrangements on uh, Facebook, and I was up in the gym training, and one of the lads came up, and typical like I don't know, hiding behind the mask was being, oh, "How are you getting on? What's the crack? How are you getting on? You trying? Jeez, you're looking great, bro." And uh, me, he was just looking at me, just stunned, and being like, "Man, are you alright?" Mm. He's like, "Oh yeah, grand, bro. How are you doing, Josh? And I last night." And he's like, I'm "Sorry, to hear about your dad. Like, when did that happen? Ah, oh, it's grand, bro. It happened this morning." And it was that, like, it was this emotional uh, numbness that I felt. It was a coping mechanism, just 100%. pure. 
a desensitized empathy, you know, and just busy doing organizing things and ringing people, telling them, you know, and just went into like just automatic mode. And then I think about a week after the funeral, man, it hit me, you know, there was a wow. a song that was played at the funeral, uh, Davy Davy Arder and the Fiori's, and it's called the Old Man. It's the name of the song, and. Uh, that was played at funeral, and then I was sitting at home, and uh, I just said I'd, I'd play it, and I played it, man, and it just hit me then what happened, mm. you know, and uh, and it's weird. The like, grief isn't it's a weird one, you know, where you think you're fine. I oh, just am over it. It only took two days to get over it. The next thing, a song could come on the radio, or a situation, or someone could say something, and all that emotion just comes up to the surface, mm. you know, and it can make us act in in, in different ways, you know, affects everyone differently. Um, and I think I only got into sea swimming at the time as well. So I'm really grateful that I had that and had a good support network around me as well. Um, but like, but when I think back, I just I'm really grateful that I got to you know, spend the last couple of years with him being sober. You know, we got to bond and have a lot of kind of conversations, yeah. and I got to know him as well. Because before we used to just have real typical blokes. Yeah, really, how we got known around, and then I think later years. I suppose I got to got to know him, you know, a lot and have the have important conversations and he was very, very wise man. You know, we used to all, <laughs> you know, we were funny we were talking about the different characters we play and yeah. you know, we used to always say, you know, when you're in your twenties all you do is worry about what people think about you. And then when you're forty you don't give a shit what people think about you. Mm-hmm. But then you get to sixty and you realise no one's ever been thinking about <laughs> you, you know, and it's yeah. that thing that everyone's so obsessed with. Does he like me? Does she like me? Does yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that and everyone's just so self centered naturally that we don't actually uh thinking of the other person. But yeah, we, we think the whole world is obsessed with us going, Oh, I can't go out wearing these coloured socks, everyone think yeah. like, you know, no one gives a shit. And that's the thing that you kind of realise, come here, you're not that important, so don't be worrying about what people think about you. So, uh, yeah, you know, but it's um, like that, it kind of puts, but then as I get older as well, I, I, I look at, I've, I've seven siblings, you know, I have a big family, and nice. like he was a great dad, you know, he like put bread on the table, he got, he had his own demons, you know, he struggled with his own mental health and his mental illness. But he like he was a hard worker, and you know we had great Christmases. We we wanted we got everything we wanted. Like you know we were like working class, but yeah, yeah. we got everything we wanted. And the more older I get, the more respect I have for that man. The self sacrifice he put into 100%. his family, yeah. you know that self sacrifice he put in, and uh, yeah, it's just it's powerful. Like it really yeah. is, man. Um, and sometimes we need this grief to kind of shake us up a bit to realize, well, this is a uh, mm. this is you know it's like the. The, the, you break a bone that comes back stronger and I think the, like the, the, the Muay Thai trainers they kick trees and put splinters in their shins and it comes back stronger and I think that's what it's like sometimes when we break you. yeah 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 <laughs> but it's like I think that's with us emotionally that sometimes we need to break out of that um, yeah. shell or sorry probably a better analogy would be like the snake shedding its skin or the, mm. the lobster sh- sheds its shell and comes back stronger and I think mm. That happens to us many times as well, you know. Uh, Charles Pukowski has that saying, you know, you need to die a few times to live, to be truly alive. And I think that when these things happen, these these people, we lose people, or we hit them rock bottoms, we go through them big breakups that day, they, they, a bit of us die, but then a bit of us is more alive then. Yeah. Uh, my mum said something similar, then, same as your dad. She's like, oh, your 20s are good, but... 
you'll love your 30s. And I always said, why? Because you'll stop giving a fuck what people think. Yeah. And it's true, when you come into your 30s, you just start to do stuff that kind of only matter for you and your family and, and that, and everything kind of slows down. You're not out two, three times a weekend anymore. Mm. You just focus on people that matter to you, what you, you've kind of made all your mistakes in your 20s. Also, I have a weird relationship with regret. Do you have many regrets in your 20s? Yeah, I heard someone say this earlier, the difference between shame and guilt, where guilt is you done something wrong, where shame is you are you it's you you're like you're wrong you know it's like you're the you're the bad person whereas guilt is like oh i i, I fucking left the immersion on i shouldn't have done that whereas shame is i'm a terrible person because i left the immersion on oh, okay and then and 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 with regrets man yeah you know i think that the thing is with, with regrets and I suppose me being a kind of recovering alcoholic that I look back at my behaviour when I drank you know and the person I was and I was riddled with regrets but then I'm, at the same time like I the life I have today yeah. I wouldn't have this perception or perspective of life 100%. if I hadn't walked through the rain you know it's like in Ireland we love a bit of sun because it fucking rains all the time yeah. you know what yeah. I mean and I think yeah. it's the same with life you know when we've been through them regrets and them struggles and it makes us see what's actually important you know what i mean um mm. so we, yeah i think i have regrets but I, at the same time when i when i meditate on it i realize that without them things i wouldn't be where i am today so i, I don't i don't close the door on it and um and those regrets and i can see that they're actually necessary to kind of help mm. you know help my, my, my where i'm at today you know yeah I used to always struggle with that, regrets, or like you're saying, when you can't sleep and suddenly that thing comes into your head that you did when you're 22, or like, oh, Jesus, why did I do that? I was a fucking idiot that day, or oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And then coming into your 30s, um, I think we both have similar minds that you're just thinking and overthinking and analysis and trying to rationalise everything. Um, are you... I always had regrets kind of in my late 20s too. He's like, why don't I have a proper relationship? Why don't I have a proper job in my own house now and kids and stuff? And it's like, that just wasn't your journey. Mm. I, I went through my 20s. I, I lived that life. Now I feel like it's a new chapter. And it could be what, I'm not going to go on about my mom all the time, but it could be what happened with that. It's like, right, you did everything in your 20s. What are you going to leave on the table that helped you? And what are you going to take off the table now? And like stuff like excessive drinking and like excessive anything. Okay, let's get that off the table. Well, what was good in your twenties? Oh, that's stuff with your family or, or um, the way you were career driven. Or okay, let's leave that on now. So like you're saying, uh, I I wouldn't have any regrets. I could see where where I went wrong now. Okay, let's make this next decade a bit more manageable and um, um, and help you progress further. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm just mind blown by kind of how humble and and genuine you are. I think that's any time I've I've felt low, I've seen you. You've just appeared like that feckin' Robin. <laughs> and I end up chatting to you in like the ice bath for an hour or something, and and I've always kind of been um, taken back by you, um, by everything you're doing, and even doing the marathon this weekend, the Dublin marathon, or. You've done your Ironman. Do you do you have to always have 
when do you have something planned after Dublin? Um, yeah, the, the, I'm planning doing the the European Championships in Jiu Jitsu in January. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I suppose it kind of gives having something lined up keeps me accountable and keeps me uh, focused and a training plan. Um, but as well, I, I I love exercise, man. I absolutely love it. It's um, mm. and the funny thing is, man, I don't train for the aesthetics. You know, I train for the mental effect. You know, when I got sober first, all this emotion that I suppressed just came up to the surface, just arrived. I was like, what do I do with all this energy? And having the energy is part of being a human. And I just went to the gym and started training, and then I felt good after it. Mm. And then I went down to a boxing bag in the gym and started boxing. And then I, I, signed, I joined a boxing club. And then the, I, I signed up for a fight then. I remember going into this fight, terrified, man. I, like, I was about to go on and I was looking at the fire eggs and going, just run, man. Just go out the fire exits, tell them something came up and you can't fight. And I was looking for any way to get out of this, man. Yeah. I was terrified. What have we done? Yeah, Getting into the ring and rattling. <laughs> Went in, man, and it was like, I think it was like three rounds and it was I just I felt that flat. way walking up the stairs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> terrified to oh, do this. Oh, my God. And I was like, and it was just over in a flash. And I remember getting out of the ring going, wow, that was amazing. Was it good? I felt alive. Yeah, yeah. I felt alive. And then I was, what's the next thing? And I suppose, it's funny, like it's nearly like a cliche, people that get sober and they get mad until like some other extremes, like extremism is their forte. Mm. It's like whatever they can find in 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 an extreme manner, you know, and... You know, I think I heard someone talk about this before. It's nearly like when you've been through... Like when you when you struggle with your mental health, you know what it's like to be uncomfortable, and you've come accustomed to it that you're nearly normalised, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's so much so that you don't know what it's like not to be uncomfortable and in pain mm-hmm. emotionally. So it's just your normal, you know. And so then when I got, it was actually man, I was I think it was about nearly coming up to a year sober, and you know I was just like I was really struggling, and I remember I I I was walking home from work one day. And it's just in my headphones. One of my favorite albums is Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. And I remember just looking at these flowers. <laughs> this is going to sound really fucking uh-huh. mumbo jumbo. But just looking at these flowers in the park, walking home from work. And next thing, something incredible happened, man. Something just wonderful happened. I felt peace. Nice. I liked who I was. Nice. And I was just in the present moment. Nice. And what made this more incredible it was the first time I felt these things where they would drink a drug or any mind-altering yeah, yeah. substance. And that's what people describe that oh, kind of on the sober journey ahead of me, but getting that, that, that getting that moment of joy, that moment of peace, that moment of contentment. Mm-hmm. And I got it right there. And, and, it, and, it, and it comes in waves now today. It comes in waves, you know. And, and I was really grateful that when I started that sober journey, I didn't feel like it was working or this life was for me. And people would say, look, don't quit before the miracle happens. Don't give up. Don't throw in that tail. Keep going. It does work. It will work. Just keep coming back. Keep on the keep on the path mm. one day at a time. And I did. And they were right. It did work. And it's just like not about throwing in that tail. Like, don't quit before that miracle happens. Like, you nice. could be climbing a mountain. And at the, when you're doing that summer push, that's usually the hardest climb. It's the hardest bit is when just when you're at the best moment. And so that's a great analogy for life. When you're going through tremendous pain or hardship, there's something incredible just about to happen. So just keep going. Yeah. Don't throw in that towel, you know. And so then, yeah, years later into recovery, you know, I'm at peace, I'm at, I'm at serenity. But 
but there was still this part of me that loved the chaos. It's like you, you imagine you've been in war for years saying, yeah. and you're, that's all you, and then you come home and you're your family and you've been, you, all you see is danger and war mode because it's yeah, what's your yeah, condition. Yeah, yeah, and there's still a part of me that has that, that's in me mm -hmm. from my years of fucking chaos and, and addiction. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I try and cater for that need for chaos through endurance sports, through jujitsu, through spots, you know, through trail running, all these things that uh, make me feel alive and they're extreme and they feel, I don't know, dangerous is the right word, but they're just, it's chaos, it's chaotic. Yeah. And you walk away with a big smile on your face. And it's that, and, and yin and yang, you know, is order and chaos. And we need a bit, bit of both, man. We need order, but we can't be complete squares. Because we go insane. Imagine, imagine yeah, being yeah. out on a boat at a beautiful scenery, but you're there every single, look at um, the castaway, Tom Hanks, that island. He was on this beautiful island, but he went mad after a while. Yeah. He needed a bit of chaos, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then too much chaos, man, would, would burn us out as well. You know, it wasn't good for us. So it's having a nice, uh, it's having a nice mixture, but it's about having a bit of both. You know what I mean? Not chaos that's gonna kill us, and not order that's gonna, you know, dim our flame. You know. I think, I think I've always wanted to give up alcohol. I've a couple of friends that that you know went to AA, and everyone I know that went to it, their life is completely turned around, like mm -hmm. for the positive. And I'm like, whoa, like. Didn't think that was going to happen for those. They they were in a, a bad way, and and now look at them, and you're so proud of them. But that one thing in my head was like, oh, but I fucking love a bit of chaos, though. Mm. You do, you do. I do seek that, and 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 now I'm trying to stop it. Like now, I I get it. I I, I still gig on the weekends. I do that for me because I can create chaos in a crowd. Like I I, I gig in a couple of good venues in town that. Okay, I'm gonna create chaos tonight, and I'll be sober doing it. Yeah. And I'll get like shivers up my arms when they're singing, fucking Wonderwall for the sixth time that day. But I can see chaos, and I'm yeah. like, yes, this is I love this. So uh, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, I always yeah. wonder why. Why is that human feature that we need? Like it's like the, the Adam and Eve, the story uh, in from the Bible. You know, you have Adam there. He has everything he wants, as much food. His woman, beautiful woman, everything he wants. God comes down. Look, Adam, you can you have it all, bro. You have everything you want, <laughs> but just see that apple in the tree. <laughs> don't eat it. Don't eat it. You know, yeah, and he's yeah. there. Like apples yeah. never look better. Oh man, and it's just like the, the hanging fruit, you know, yeah. and and you know, and then eventually we, we give in, and it's like don't press the red button, 100%. and then you're just the only thing you focus on. Oh, you really want to press the red button, and yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I have a friend, you know, and he he said something powerful. He says, "You ever get the one where you just want to go and throw a rock through a window?" <laughs> but not run away, just stand there <laughs> and just see what unfolds next. Just see what happens. Though. Oh, yeah. I was just like, yeah, I get that. Just bask was, in the chaos. Yeah, yeah just bask yeah. in the madness yeah, and the yeah, chaos. Come yeah. here, Adam, I'm just, I'm aware we're coming up on the time, man, and uh, absolute powerful conversation. Powerful. Oh, man, I enjoyed every um, I'm going to finish off with a few quick fire questions. Is that okay? Absolutely. What's your, uh, what's your definition of happiness today? Uh, being content in yourself sitting in silence and being happy what's the greatest advice you've ever gotten fuck <laughs> um, my mum just be yourself what's the worst advice you've ever gotten ah uh, you'll be grand 
what's your number one book recommendation um, Brian Cranston's uh, uh, biography um, I thought it was brilliant that's probably more for the actor in me but uh, the, he, Breaking Bad Breaking Bad yeah. Brian Cranston yeah. if I see it when I see it next I'll, I'll bring it up to you um, but uh, yeah his, 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 his journey that he went on with his brother he was homeless he was a biker around America um, and then there's a story in it that he's sitting under the rain starving him and his brother lying beside their bikes and he has this one poetry book and he goes he start reading it and suddenly he couldn't feel the rain suddenly he was warm because he was just involved mentally in these in these poems and that's when he so realizing he wanted to do acting and there's just some just great anecdotes in it great stories wow. great um he's he's very honest in it he's brilliant that's he, powerful i i give my students whenever i teach acting that advice that i read in his book is when it came to auditions it was like just enjoy every second of it do those 15 minutes in the room and then forget about it then go back to being brian cranston go back to being adam go back to being whoever and um but yeah that would that that would be my book of choice that's powerful just that that like not feeling the rain it's like an analogy for depression nearly isn't it mm. just not feeling the struggle mm. yeah that's powerful i love that yeah, one of my favorite series as well breaking bad um what uh what advo- if you could go back and talk to your 20 year old self what advice would you give yourself slow down You'd be grand. <laughs> when I said the worst advice ever, you'd be grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read that in the sense of if you're having a drink, will I have another one? Ah, you'd be yeah, grand. You'd be grand. Like, oh, madness one happens. more, yeah. But I'd say to myself, I don't know, keep going, keep doing what you're doing, but just slow down. I was a, I was a lunatic in my 20s. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd just be like, just slow down. What legacy do you want to leave behind? A family. I just want to have a big family. Um, yeah. I don't. It doesn't matter about stuff about uh, anything you do in your career. I think if you if I can have a house with a family and, and kids and and stuff like that and yeah, I think that 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 would be most important. Adam, it's been absolutely oh. powerful listening and talking to you. Absolute and uh, you're, a, you're a shining light, man. Nah, Thank you. you. Thank brother. you so much, Thanks man. Thanks so much. Big, big love. Slan. <laughs>